Memorial Stadium. Since 1962. Since 1962. A sellout crowd. A sellout crowd. All sold out. Hey, we sold out, but we still saved you a seat. The sellout with Mitch Sherman and Max Olson. Hey there, and welcome to The Sellouts. I'm Mitch Sherman, Nebraska football writer for The Athletic, joined as always by national college football writer for The Athletic, Max Olson. We have nearly arrived at the eve of what has long been billed as the biggest home game of the season of the Scott Frost era. Saturday night, college game day is on site for the morning show in Lincoln, the Huskers, and fifth-ranked Ohio State, 6.30 on ABC. So, Max... Let's talk about this game. Nebraska is a three-score underdog. What is your sense of the way things are to enter this game? How do you feel about what you've seen and what you've heard from both sides throughout this week? I mean, I think I think Scott Frost probably said it best Thursday uh, after after their morning practice that I think their their mentality this week is is we've got nothing to lose. You know, I think they're I think he um, I think he very much understands how good this Ohio State team is in all three phases and the fact that um, if you're not sharp, uh, they can they can blow you out pretty quick. And uh, so I think they recognize it's going to take everything they've got. Um, but I think you kind of have to. I, I think you have to ha- kind of have that mentality on a on a Saturday like this when there's just like so much pressure on on and, and attention on Nebraska. I think it's probably he and his coaches realize we've got to flip this and and make it feel like hey, show these players all the pressures on Ohio State. Now, I mean, is that going to make much of a difference? I don't know. It's probably gonna, it's going to come down to a lot of things besides that. Uh, but I, I'm curious to see if they if they just show up and 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 you know surprise us in kind of putting together their best performance in all phases a, a week after uh, a game at, at Illinois that, uh, you know, was sloppy in a lot of fronts. Yeah, first of all, I don't know what Nebraska's best phase or best uh, performance on special teams would look like at this point of the season with its uh, many woes in that area of the game. But offensively and defensively, Nebraska has, I think, somewhat of a high ceiling. Now, is it high enough to to make up for the talent disparity that, that will be evident on both sides of the ball? You know, we'll find out on Saturday night if, if the Huskers can give that kind of uh, that kind of performance. You know, I, I really I was really struck too by the message that Scott Frost delivered late in the week, his his first media availability since Monday when he was just getting Monday they were really they were getting out of Illinois mode. That wasn't one of those yeah. games that you could just kind of flush immediately after it happened. It it took it took a day or so for Nebraska to move on from from that kind of a of a game. It was emotional. Uh, there were injuries that happened. There were there were various things that I think caused Nebraska to have to take stock of things when it got back to Lincoln. And mm-hmm. and by now, by by the end of the week where we sit now, I heard a, a definitely a different message, a different a different vibe from Scott Frost, and it was very much one of we have nothing to lose. He he said that two or three times during his media availability after practice on Thursday at the end of the week. So, um, you know, that is probably going to be what the Huskers hear in the locker room on on Saturday afternoon. And and it remains to be seen, you know, if that is the kind of motivation, that's the kind of push that Nebraska needs to be able to get it to play its its best uh, against Ohio State. How do you think Ohio State comes into this game, Max? Uh, I, I think they are, they're just rolling right along. You know, I, I think that, um, 
the, the Ryan Day era is off to a, a pretty incredible start. It always helps when you add uh, a five-star quarterback to the mix to replace your first-round uh, draft pick at quarterback and uh, surround him with with playmakers on offense and then um, you know have NFL-type guys um, like Chase Young and Jeffrey Okuda and, and, and the, you know, uh, just dudes all over the field on defense. So they're loaded. Um, you know, it's they're, they're, they, they've recruited to this point to, to build a team that can play, uh, you know, compete for a playoff. And, and Nebraska is just obviously not near that point. But, um, you know, it's interesting that there's a, there's, a, it's, it, there's a big difference between when Nebraska caught Ohio State last year and when they're catching them now. Um, you know, last year you're, you're playing them after they lose to Purdue, after they're kind of the laughing stock of the country for a week. And you would think it's a big uh, bounce back week for Ohio state to declare they belong in the playoff hunt and, and, and all that. And uh, you know, you look back on that game, Nebraska, <laughs> Nebraska gave them all they could handle. And, uh, and, and even though they, you know, they lose that one and dropped a two and seven um, to, to lose by five points on the road there against the top 10 team, I think uh, was a heck of a heck of a showing. Um, and I think there are some hints from that game. You can, you can take that, uh, show you what it's going to take to win this one, but uh, th- this is a little different. Ohio State comes in supremely confident, knowing that they have one of the best teams in the country, and uh, I think it's going to take a lot to disrupt that. Yeah, that was nothing to lose. That was truly a nothing to lose week for Nebraska, and I, I think yeah. this week, you know, there is there is there is something to lose for Nebraska this week. <laughs> there there has been an entire off season. Uh, of build up to this game. And, you know, while the first four weeks for Nebraska haven't exactly inspired a huge amount of confidence that this team can go toe to toe with Ohio State, you can't just discount everything that happened over the nine months or the eight months previous to that. And, and you know, what that was, was a lot of talk that this game would be a great measuring stick for Scott Frost and his program and how far it had come in, in the second year. Whether that was fair or not, whether it was too early to, 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 to put Nebraska to that test, that was the reality of, of the talk this offseason. So you know, I think Frost is trying to diffuse whatever pressure exists. There, Of course, there is a lot of pressure, especially playing at home. Um, but... Uh, Last year was the definition of of a game that uh, a team went into with nothing to lose, and and I think benefited uh, quite a bit in Columbus from that that mindset. So we're going to get back to this game, and we have a lot we want to cover in this in this episode today. One thing we want to get to because it's been so prominent on the athletic uh, app and, and and website this week is our spread in our college football section, uh, the spread, our series called the spread about food and college football. And Max, you and I both uh, were able to, to participate in reporting and, and writing some stuff in this series. You ha- did some interesting work and, and got down in the uh, in the the depths of Memorial Stadium, got behind the scenes with Dave Ellis, Nebraska's uh, renowned um, head of nutrition and, and learned about how things have changed because of some NCAA deregulation when it comes to comes to food for mm-hmm. for student athletes. Um, wh- what did you find when, when you went and visited with Dave and uh, and saw some of the uh, the football players uh, in action uh, behind the, uh, the the counter cooking food? Yeah, I think it's a cool story. Um, you know, Dave Ellis uh, and and Tom Osborne really. Um, they, they were the guys that kind of, in a lot of ways, kind of founded, um, you know, performance training from a nutrition standpoint back in the nineties. Um, and, and, uh, they, they created a a real edge for for the Nebraska football program, uh, through the way they ran the training table. And and Tom Osborne was a very thoughtful guy about that before, 
um, hardly any coaches were in college football. And, uh, you know, Dave Ellis leaves in 2001, goes into the consulting world where there's a lot more money to be made and a lot more people to help. And, uh, you know, when, and, and learned a lot from working with, you know, he's worked with Bill Belichick. He's worked with the Packers. He's worked with major league baseball. He's worked with LeBron James. He's been all over the country. And, uh, but, but when Scott Frost takes over Nebraska, uh, he and Zach Duvall, uh, the strength coach, they, they feel that, Hey, we've got to restore a lot of the things that made Nebraska uh, so successful. And, and Dave Ellis got a call and they made him an offer. He couldn't refuse to rejoin, uh, the athletic department and, uh, and, and oversee nutrition for football. And, uh, and, and this is a, a guy who's, who's, it, it was really fun to be around him. He's, he's a brilliant guy. Um, and, and in just a year back in the athletic department, uh, has, has accomplished a lot at the training table. They've, they've, they're doing some pretty, uh, they're pr- doing some pretty new stuff over there. They have this life skills kitchen where, uh, they're teaching athletes how to cook their own food. Uh, they have juice bars, they have kombucha, they have everything you could think of to, to try and be ahead of the, ahead of the, the game there. Um, they're getting it going and, uh, it, it, it's a, it, a, people like that, I think, give you a real a huge secret advantage in your program, uh, when they're kind of getting you on the cutting edge of things. We talked a little bit about what they did for the Colorado game. He was putting beet powder in all of their drinks that week to get them ready. And that's why you didn't yeah. see them having that. You didn't see them having a lot of uh, cramping or a lot of, uh, you know, oxygen mass or anything like that. Cause he was, he had these creative solutions that week to get them right. Um, it, it's a, it's a big, it's a big deal behind the scenes there. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that over time, um, as, as you develop football players over four or five years, uh, you're going to start to see the effect there over time. So now we know the real reason that Scott Frost was not concerned with the altitude in Boulder. The secret uh, is the beet, beet powder. It was the beet powder, and uh, they may want to refine the the recipe in that beet powder because I think Nebraska did have some have some problems there. You, you, you think put a little half. Red Bull in the beet powder for for the there second half there. I think yeah. that'd be a good idea. So, you know, one, uh, you know related to that story, I, I think there are probably some really exciting things ahead for Nebraska nutrition. And sure, and uh, you know, you know, as eventually Nebraska is going to expand its nutrition department. And you know, how, did you get the sense that Dave Ellis is excited for for what these years down the road can can do for Nebraska in the future in, in this area? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think a, a big part of it, um, where, where they are right now, he, he came back and he expanded their staff quite a bit. Um, and, but they're, they're pretty maxed out in terms of their kitchen space and all of that. Um, I, I think when, when Nebraska inevitably uh, builds a new facility, um, that's one area where, where they'll be able to, uh, relocate, which is something that, you know, they've been in that same spot for, for a very, very long time. And so, uh, I think expanding that program um, in in a new facility, I think is 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 going to be a good thing for them. Don't certainly don't really know th- um, the specifics on that yet because I think we're all kind of waiting for the the official announcement of what that all that's going to look like. But um, yeah, it, it's uh, Nebraska is making the best use they can of that that space in that little corner of uh, um, of the uh, was the northwest side of the stadium there, but. Um, you know, they've, <laughs> I'm curious to see kind of how they take it to another level. One of the things that, that blew me away, he, he was able to get a, a donor group from Omaha to, uh, to chip in and help buy a, a custom massive like charcoal grill that can cook 200 steaks at a time on, on Thursdays for them. And they actually have inside wow. the grill, they have, um, little ends that you, you, you can sear, into every steak there's a there's an a black and seared into every steak so of course there uh, is yes they're they're doing it up over there um and and excited to see him kind of take it to another level and 
I think, like I said, for developmental programs like Nebraska, it's really, really important to invest in these areas. Yeah, I mean, that's it sounds like that's not the big green egg that I pass in the aisles at Costco <laughs> and am, am no. jealous that I don't have on my back patio. You're, you're, this is not what you're talking about with the 200 steaks on one grill. And, and it's it's just sitting there in the like I think that it's in the uh, northwest corner of the stadium, so fans can probably see it on Saturday night when they just walk through there. Um, it's it's massive. Um, I I think you could cook up a couple burgers or, or or maybe a couple thousand sliders on that thing if you wanted to. Was anyone eating runza at the training table while you visited? I did not see any runza. I saw some people were making their own pasta. I think they were having. Uh, lasagna and breadsticks and stuff. No, uh, no, no runzas. But I enjoyed your uh, your story for the uh, our, our the spread this week. Um, diving deep into the affection that that Nebraskans have for runza, and I think a lot of those that read it kind of nod our heads and we know it. But I imagine there's a lot of folks outside the state that just don't totally get like why do they make such a big deal about runzas, right? Yeah, this was a story, I think, more for people who are either displaced Nebraska fans and love their Runza, but only get it on those rare trips back home, or just the the fans of college football. And we targeted this series, of course, for all fans of college football. And it was more interesting, I think, for somebody who isn't a fan of Nebraska and doesn't know about Runza to read about this strange delicacy that they serve at 85 restaurants all over the state. I mean, I, I visited a runza in downtown papillion and, and actually saw the the uh the sausage at being made so to speak it was <laughs> it, it was the it was the runza uh at, at eight in the morning as as a, uh, a a chunk of meat and onions and cabbage and the dough was uncooked and i would perhaps not recommend that uh, exercise for fans of of Runza, um, if you want to continue to eat them and like and like them the way that you uh, the way that you do, it's it's not always the best thing to go behind the scenes and, and see things being made. But um, eh, I mean, ha- I, it didn't shock me. It's a it's a it's a ball of brown meat and onion and cabbage. I mean, what do you expect, right? Right. They call it a football. The, uh, the 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 chunk of meat. So that's that is uh, very fitting for for this series. And you know, really, I, I I wanted to explore just the the uh, affection that Nebraskans and Nebraska football fans have for Runza, the restaurant and the sandwich, and tell the story behind the restaurant and how it goes back to 1949. Of course, I was told many times on social media after this story came out, or even in the comments on the story that it, this is not a uniquely Nebraskan thing and that it comes from German and Russian heritage and they make them in California and they mm-hmm. make them in Kansas. And I, yeah, we're, we're, we're aware. And it was in the story that, uh, this comes from the, uh, the, the beer rock, I believe yeah. is the, is the, yeah. is the pronunciation for this, uh, this type of food, but you know, See, runs I, has gone far beyond. I was raised beyond. on, on pasties, which is, um, you know, that's more of a, it's almost more of like a pie crust, um, that's filled with, with meat and potatoes. Um, there, I think I, these are. Uh, you were these ra- are just, you were raised on that. Where, where yeah, we where? would have that for Christmas every year. We still do. Okay, so it's okay. the well, uh, you know everyone has their own their own sturdy version of this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know that you don't. What you don't have is the the, the spicy Jack beer rock or the <laughs> cheeseburger beer rock. Runza that. has. Yeah, Runza has veered in a lot of directions with uh, some of the ways that it that it takes its sandwiches. So um, I, I had the cheese had- Runza this week. It was good. I, it, it was a good cheese Runza. I was tempted by the cheeseburger one. I, I want to try. I'll, I'll try the spicy Jack one next time because it's got 
looks like it has like uh, Jack and, and jalapenos and, and bacon. So they've really, uh, you know, they, maybe they've elevated it. Who knows? Yeah, we make at least one trip through the runs of drive through a week. Um, uh-huh. And it's not usually for me. Uh, my eight-year-old is a is a giant fan of the chicken strips at Runza, and the chicken okay. strips and the hamburgers, sure. you know, far outsell the the uh, the Runza sandwiches, which is interesting to hear. That is surprising. But uh, I'm a big fan of yeah. the Frings too. You gotta get you gotta go with the Frings. I think you have to say the little the little trademark Frings trademark. That's that's uh, have Runza they has. It? Yes, it's it, that is a Runza thing. Frings oh you put gosh, together I fries didn't, I didn't and know rings. They owned and, that. Good for you, they Runza. Do. They do. The Athletics College Football Editor-in-Chief, Stuart Mandel, and National College Football Insider, Bruce Feldman, are just two of our renowned college football experts. Not only can you read their top-tier stories, but you can now listen to them on their podcast, The Audible with Stuart and Bruce. The guys react to college football's most awe-inspiring moments, interview the game's biggest names, and occasionally audible out of conventional wisdom. Join Stuart and Bruce on The Audible on The Athletic. And as always, click the follow button on The Audible show page for updates when new episodes release. Let's hop back into the show. Um, we're going to get back to talking about Nebraska Ohio State. Fairly, uh, fairly big, big game this week in Lincoln. Um, what we are looking for, we have some questions in the Ask the Sellouts uh, segment that I want to get to. We do also, yes, we do. Of course, I mean people are catching on with this, Max. So uh, I'm going to surprise you with some the of sellouts? these. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, I'm excited. What, what, <laughs> give me a key. Give me a key on Saturday night. Um, we know what the key is for Ohio State. It's essentially to play the way that the Buckeyes have for the first four first four weeks. So it, it, you know, if if you're Nebraska, if you're uh, in that in that locker room before the game, what's the last thing that you emphasize to to these players as a coach before they go out on the field uh, on Saturday night? Um, I I think strategically, I think the key to this one um, is probably the middle two quarters. I think you look back at last year's game and. You know, they were able to pull off a 14-0 swing in the second quarter. They got two takeaways. You know, they ended that half with Ohio State fans, you know, booing their own team at home um, and, and put some real pressure on Ohio State. Um, and, and so there's real opportunity there when you take a lead in halftime uh, to, hey, let's make this a fight here for the rest of the way. And then, um, you know, they had every chance in the world to win that game, and, and it's the third quarter that cost them. Um, they, they had five straight drives on offense and ended in punts, and they really surrendered control of that game. And so I, I feel like that's where uh, you, you have to obviously withstand whatever Ohio State's going to do to you early on. But I think the, the, those middle two quarters are where they have to really uh, throw, throw land their punches. And uh, um, I, I'm curious to see if, if it's something they can do where, so, you know, it's close enough going into the fourth that, uh, like I said, there's some real pressure on the Buckeyes there. What do you think? Right. The third quarter has just been problematic for Nebraska all year. And it was better at Illinois last week. It needed to be better at Illinois for Nebraska to have a chance to get yeah. back into that game and to ultimately win that game. It didn't start great. Uh, Nebraska had the ball to start the third um, and had a quick uh, a quick punt. And then the Illini scored. So the third quarter started about as badly as it could have. But then the rest of the way... It went fairly well for the Huskers, and then they were able to take control in the fourth. I I I agree that the middle port. Of the, I, well, hey, the whole game's important. You know, I've 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 heard the analysis. Ooh, good take, Mitch. This, the whole game's important. This week, I like the that. whole. It's for Nebraska's going to have to play four quarters <laughs> to win this game. Nebraska has not put together four quarters. You know, you, you can maybe look back sixteen games in the entire Frost era and say, have they? 
have they put together four quarters consecutively in one game? And I, I would think the answer is is possibly no. Even Northern Illinois this this uh, this year, the forty four to eight game, I, I don't. I there were there were there was a third quarter uh, lull in that game too. So yeah, um, it's got to happen this week. Well, it's, it's but also happen. like if you can't do it, then you at least need to force Ohio State to only play two or three good quarters. Then right? I mean, you just really have to disrupt what they're doing. If if you're not able to capitalize, you you at least need to frustrate them. I think. Yeah, and, and you got to get you've, you've got to rattle Justin Fields if if that is ever going to happen, mm-hmm. and th- this may be the week for it to happen because he just has not played in this kind of an environment on the road. Of course, he's played in it at home. Um, you get a hundred thousand in there at the horseshoe, so he's not going to be wowed by the crowd. Uh, I don't think Justin Fields. He doesn't strike me as the kind of athlete who who is going to pay a whole lot of attention to what's happening ar- around him. I think he's he's supremely confident because mm-hmm. he's generally always been the best athlete on the field. You know, probably his entire life. Um, but there's no doubt that this is going to be something new for him to go into this kind of an environment and have the team relying on him. Now, he was in environments like this as a backup at Georgia last year, but but it's different when when you're the man and you're out there and everyone is looking to you. So he and may ace that you, test. And if, you, but, you know, if you're having trouble communicating because it's, it's so dang loud in that stadium on Saturday yeah. night too. And, you know, in you know, getting to a key uh, – of course, Nebraska is going to. Ha- I, I don't think this can be a game that's that's low scoring. I think Nebraska, will, whomever yeah. wins this, well, certainly if if Nebraska is to win it, it's going to have to be some kind of a shootout because you, I don't believe there's much much hope for Nebraska to be able to to shut down Ohio State offensively. So Nebraska is going to have to be diversified in what it does offensively. And and the most difficult thing as I look at this matchup for Nebraska is the ability to to, to be able to throw deep and. Talked to Mario Verduzco a bit about this on Wednesday, and, and he felt like he was happy with the way that Adrian Martinez has operated when on those deep routes. And I was a little surprised to hear that. I think the numbers maybe tell you a little bit different story than what you see when you watch Nebraska. There have been some broken coverages. They've gotten J.D. Spielman behind the safety mm-hmm. a few times this year. You know, Maurice Washington has taken some balls um, and run quite a bit after the catch, but in, in balls that have actually gone down the field more than 20 yards, it just doesn't look like that's a strength of this Nebraska team because you've got three receivers in Spielman, Wandale Robinson, and Conovai Noah who are all under six foot. Now, now Noah is listed at six foot, but I've stood next to him and he's not he's not six foot. Um, and Spielman and, and Robinson are are you're, you're are, a Conovai Noah height truther. I, I, I like that. Yeah, it's... they are also not six foot and not listed at six <laughs> okay. foot. So. <laughs> check out the check out the height of the Ohio State corners and even the safeties, but more importantly the corners and the guys yeah. who are going to be ma- matched with them in one on one coverage. And Nebraska will have to be creative in finding ways to get those guys open. Um, you know, maybe I, yeah, you run Washington. It's going to take a, a it's going to take a hell of a plan. I mean, there's there's no question about that. And it's and I think you're right too. Like it's going to take them kind of like keeping their chin up when they give up points too, right? That you just understand like all right, go back out there and score. You know. Yeah. Um, High scoring, limit the turnovers if you're Nebraska, of course, and do what you can to make it as even as possible on special teams. I guess don't get into and don't let it come uh, down situations. to a kick. By, for God's yeah, sake, don't, don't let it come down to a kick. You know, 
right? Don't get don't get into situations where you have to kick. When Nebraska gets in the red zone, it needs touchdowns. Uh, simple sure. as that. And, and you know, that's that's for the sake of, of getting those four extra points, but also because you don't want to put it on the leg of of somebody who has who has had no success in, in this <laughs> spot. And and Frost was asked again on Thursday about the kicking situation and really offered no answers. He said, you know, we yeah. hope that that Barrett Pickering is back sooner rather than later, but. Uh, it doesn't sound like that's going to be Saturday night. So uh, the kicking woes, I, I would imagine, are, are going to continue, or at least the, uh, the, the the nervousness around the kicking game is is uh, is set to continue for another week. And that's just a really tough place to be in when you're a program that has the the margin for error that Nebraska does right now. Yeah, yeah, it's well said. Hey, you want to you want to talk about the question you asked me yesterday when we were at the mill uh, getting some work done? Do you remember? Yeah. This? Um, what what. What question was that? It You're was have to, to, you, uh, you, you, it was a, it was a good hypothetical. It was let's say oh, yes, I know Nebraska splits these next two games between uh, against Ohio State and and Northwestern. Which one would you rather win? Yeah, see, please, I mean, to please me, give like, me your case because you seem to feel strongly about this. I want to hear your case. Well, I feel strongly that there's a, there's an actual decision to be made there. I think people, a lot of people will hear that, and you did, and you'll just be like, well, of course you would want to win Ohio State. It's a, it's a landmark victory for Nebraska and Scott Frost. But what happens if you win Ohio State, if you beat Ohio State, and the next week you lose to Northwestern? I, you know, I think that's, that's awfully tough. And now, if it was the other way around, as far as the, the, um, the setup of these two games, if it was lose to Northwestern, and then beat Ohio State. Well, that would be fantastic if you're in Nebraska. Not fantastic to lose to Northwestern, but it would be much better than uh-huh. winning against Ohio State and losing to Northwestern. So part of it is you're winning the second game in option B of the hypothetical. People may think I'm crazy and say, why would you ever want to, why would you ever pick lose to Ohio State and beat Northwestern? I think maybe you pick that because then you've at least won the game that you're probably supposed to win, that you have the best chance to win. And you, mm. you know a little bit about more who you are as a program, and you come out of those two weeks on a high note, as opposed to be being really down if you beat Ohio State and then lose to Northwestern. So my argument is that there is an argument, not necessarily <laughs> that it would be better to win the to win the Northwestern game. But you think I'm crazy, I, right? I think that I, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it simple here. I think the respect that you earn for beating Ohio State far outweighs the disrespect you get for losing Northwestern. You know what okay. I mean? Like I, I, I just yeah. think. I, not and I'm not just saying like reputationally, but just like in recruiting and in getting people's attention about what Scott Frost is doing in year two. I think winning this game means means way more in terms of 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 uh, you know kind of showing people this thing's on track. And if you lose to Northwestern, I mean every you, you've played tight games with North, Northwestern all the time. You know what I mean? Like, like that wouldn't be a shock. We, after how we watched them play Illinois, it wouldn't be a shock. Now, obviously if, if it's at home, that's, that's brutal. But like, I, I just think the the upside of beating Ohio state uh, with, with everything that's been attached to this game on, on, on Saturday morning and all that. Um, I think that's kind of hard to beat. Yeah. I, I can't argue with that, but I can, I can argue that there's, you argument. can try. Yeah. I, I, uh, before we get to our predictions, um, I do want to thank everybody who, who used the hashtag Ask the Sellouts. And I want to quickly get through a few of these questions. I think we can answer these all in kind of a, a rapid-fire fashion. So um, from from Mr. Corey, if Urban comes back, 
would his key people at Ohio State join him? So let's hypothetically say that Urban Meyer takes the USC job, which you know I, I pulled that one out of thin air. Sure. And um, w- will he? Will That's he? It's interesting. Will he, you'd speculate will on he that. Raid, I, I haven't will, heard that before. Yeah. Right. I know. I know. I'm. I'm. I'm uh, pretty innovative like that. Will he raid? Would he raid Ryan Day's staff at uh, at Ohio State? What do you think? I yeah. I that would be a very interesting tug of war because remember Urban Meyer is still in the building there at Ohio State. Still has an office and. It's, teaching and all that stuff. Um, I would I would think so. I would think he would try to take his strength coach and his recruiting coordinator and the folks that, that he's won a lot with. Those are guys that came with him from Florida um, and are extremely loyal to him. So yeah, I, I would think so. And that would be an interesting uh, splintering. Although, you know, I think in some ways, maybe that's a, maybe Ryan Day would welcome that because it is always a, an interesting deal. We've seen it with Lincoln Riley when you inherit somebody else's assistance. In some ways, you, you do get excited about the chance to hire your own folks and build your own staff um, that are all kind of aligned toward you. So maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Ryan Day. But um, yeah, I, I would think that would happen. What do you think? Yeah, I think you would try. I mean, I wouldn't put anything past Urban Meyer. As nice as he seems on TV uh, on Saturdays, I think you put him back in that on the on the sideline, and and all of a sudden he's ruthless. He has he flips <laughs> that switch, and I, I don't think he would worry for more than five minutes, if that, about going after feelings. the guy, yeah. his guys. <laughs> They're his guys, man. And and uh, now the question is, would and would if they, you're going to come uh, back, you, you're going to want to do it your way and not start from scratch, right? I mean, that makes right. sense. Right. So uh, Hank wants to know, in our opinion, um, who would be the best celebrity picker? We got into the celebrity picker in our earlier mm-hmm. episode this week. Not who we think it will be, but who would be the best? I- I'm I'm going to continue on beating the drum that I think the best and who it will be is Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. So okay. end of end of my answer. Who would be the absolute best? Um Gosh. Yeah, that's I want to come up with something funny, but I'm just blanking at the moment. So we can say that. But it's a good that's a good question by Hank Scropio. Yes. Hank has another question about how hard it is to get a kicker in Lincoln this year. Oh, Nebraska had two kickers. So um that's and they're both injured. So it, it's uh, it's not that hard. They have a guy on scholarship. He is not playing. So uh that's how, how it. many it, it it does raise a good question though, Mitch. If it, it how many uh, scholarship should they give to kickers in this next recruiting One. class? Oh, well, <laughs> hey, that depends on Barrett Pickering's health because if this does. is going to be something that lingers on beyond the season or it looks like it could be chronic, then you know you need a scholarship kicker. If not, uh, Pickering may end up redshirting this year and um, you, you you may not need to – you have three years left in your program. So I don't think you need to scholarship a kicker. Now you, you may look at that and say I'm crazy because of what happened this season, but I think this is this is just a uh, uh, this is this is a, a, an abnormal situation that Nebraska likely will not find it in, itself in again. Uh, if I were I if I use, were a high school coach in this state, I would be encouraging my kids to start kicking right now to try and get a spot on next year's team because you know they're going to take some walk-ons on, that, that are specialists at this point. Right, they're always going to take some some walk-ons, and they did this year. And the problem that they incurred is that Dylan Jorgensen was injured after one game. So from Sam, last question here, Adrian Martinez has committed a large amount of turnovers in his college career. Do you think it's fair to view him as a gunslinger and not expect him to have the hyper efficiency of a Mackenzie Milton, Marcus Mariota or Vernon Adams? I would not necessarily classify Adams in the same category as those first two, but 
Um, is he a gunslinger or is he going to be hyper hyper efficient like Scott Frost's two best quarterbacks in his time as a coordinator or a head coach? What do you think? Hmm. I. It's a good. It's a good point. I think right now he you would say where he's at right now it's more it, the what we see is more gunslinger and i think as he as he as they surround him with better talent and um you know and as he gets the hang of this more i think next year i feel like you start to see that hyper efficiency of of him really picking apart defenses and um, them knowing exactly how to set him up as you know with with the calling plays and I, I think it's I think you're going to see an evolution into that. What do you think? I I agree. I think he is is a gunslinger now, and I think he really needs to work on ball security when it comes to holding onto the football. Um, get get past the fumbles. Um, he's he's he his turnover problems are more related to the fumbles than they are interceptions. So he I, I think at some point in his career he will get better at that. It may not be entirely until next season but uh i turnovers are turnovers so if you want to categorize him as a gunslinger right now i think that's uh that's fair but eventually i do think he's going to be efficient and perhaps not in the mold of uh, of mariota who won the heisman trophy but uh he'll be in in um you know, in the conversation with yeah, those two. Yeah, I, I think the supporting cast plays into that for sure. Hey, I, I've, I've, I've thought about it. I, I've got my ideal game day picker figured out. Okay. Okay. This man was was uh, was born in Omaha, has Nebraska ties. I think uh, I think Nick Nolte's the pick for me. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Haven't heard that one mentioned. I've not I heard think, that I one mentioned think that would this week. Bring a really unique energy to the uh, the game day set. I am I am happy that you, at least you went with someone in the entertainment industry. If you can still say that Nick Nolte is in the entertainment industry, um, instead of like the ex athlete or a UFC fighter, things that I've seen bannered about this this week. I don't think people really understand the direction that ESPN wants to go with the college game day pickers. They don't take a whole lot of ex athletes unless you are just on that transcendent superstar level. They're, they're not. Yeah. They're not. I mean, Jordan Burroughs is fantastic. He's won sure. an Olympic gold medal, but that's yeah. not that is not the profile of a guy on on the college game day set. So I will not rant any longer uh, you about know, that. But and Max goes given with how Nick. things are, you know, it it could just be like Kenny Chesney, right? And he says, oh, "I'm I'm the biggest Husker fan in the world." There's there's that's always a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Nick Nolte, <laughs> mark it down for Max. I'm going with Gabrielle Union, and we're going to finish this thing with predictions for Saturday. I'm putting you on the spot. You better not say the same score that I have in, in my mind like you did last week, although that was it was off uh, anyway. So what's your final score? Um, I'm going to say... I'm just making this up. But I'm, I haven't jotted it down, so I, I can't possibly be stealing this from you. Way to be prepared. Uh, I'm going to say... Uh, 45-31 Ohio State. Okay. All right. 14 point spread. So you got Nebraska, I think, uh covering as uh most of the most of the numbers Great teams cover, call it right know? now. Yeah. 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 I'm go. gonna I'm gonna say uh I'm gonna say forty one twenty four, also going with the Buckeyes. Uh, I'm sure to uh everyone's pleasure there. But uh, that'd be a seventeen point spread. So we will see. Uh, I'm sure Nebraska has much different ideas of how it hopes and expects that game to go. And and I can tell you, I've been really bad on picking Nebraska this year. So come back and give me all the uh, all the grief that I deserve on Monday if this thing goes goes much better 
for the Huskers. That is it for this episode. By the time we return on Monday, Nebraska's season will have taken an important turn one way or the other. We'll get to that and everything else on the next show for subscribers-only bonus episode. Be sure to subscribe to our show and leave us a review. This one and every Friday episode, they're free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Have a great weekend, everyone.